Welcome to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We have special guest Christopher Allen David. He is an author, uh, wellness trainer, and motivator. In addition, he is a dedicated father of two magnificent sons. Without further ado, let's dive in with Christopher. Chris, I want to thank you for being here today. It's super excited to speak with you. Um, thank you. I want to share, I mean, share with you. I found you on a, the TikTok world. <laughs> and uh, Isn't that place amazing? Like, it it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Um, it really is. It's opened it's, so many doors for me. It's It's crazy. Yeah, it's raw and real. And it's always, I play this game, like you observe what's going on in TikTok. And then if they have an Instagram link, you look at what the persona is over there. Like, is it the same? Yeah, is it yeah. artful? Um, well, yeah. well, it's funny because I fell into TikTok by accident. Like, I didn't oh, want to be on it at all. Yeah. And I didn't know. It was, I was actually talking to a girl and she talked me to going on it. And I thought it was like Facebook. I thought the you know, people that followed you were the ones that, you know, saw your post. Right. And uh, I made a, I made a, she was depressed one day and made a post to make her laugh and it went viral. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, who are all these people? Like, shit. Yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, man, it was crazy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And we were just talking about being empaths. So mine's like humor, food, and, you know, sending people love and prayers that are not in a good state. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's good because we need more people like that. You know, everybody takes the easy route and uh, everybody likes to project instead of reflect. Yeah. You know, and uh, be negative, you know, and yeah. I'm not all about that. So. Yeah, definitely not. So um, I want to just, you know, I've been contemplating today our talk uh, because mm -hmm. you are coming forth uh, with a great history and story. And it's obviously it's a topic that's really come to fruition right now on planet earth because I feel like humanity is ready to heal. We're ready to have these conversations about all the things that you represent. The one thing for me is that felt like a series of dominoes. Like we're in a place on planet earth that we're all dominoes. We've been wounded here. We get wounded over here. We just keep falling. And it's like kind of this vicious cycle. I, I consider it a, a, a road less traveled. I feel mm -hmm. like everybody's on the same life journey. Everybody yeah. learns the same principle life lessons. They're not always taught the same way. Right. Some people are always, you know, some people stay at the rest stops a little longer than others. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's pretty the same life lessons we all learn, you know, to look yeah. inward and, and not outward. Exactly. Know? So yeah. if you can share um, with the listeners uh, the importance about owning maybe some of the stuff that's happened to you in your life so that you can show up in a way to be of service to others, but also to transform some of the pain that you've endured through abuse. There's a list of it. Like, it's like you've yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been through it all. Like all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been through it all, man. I'm. Uh, I definitely have. Uh, you know, been through the divorce, the uh, physical, the you know, the, the uh, sexual abuse, the narcissism. You know, the self medication, the. Uh, you know, the uh, point of sitting on that cliff and thinking about doing something that you can't take back. You know, I've been there. Um, I think that's why I, I relate to people so well. You know, I think uh, not to be highly religious or anything, uh, um, uh, but 
whether you think it's a God or universe, you know, I think, uh, I think he gave me these tests because he knew deep down I was a fighter and that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd help people. Like, that's why my book, my, my book is called, uh, it was never just about me, you know, uh, because I really feel like my journey wasn't about me. I really feel like somebody's going to hear my journey and, and do something spectacular with it in their own lives and change other people's lives, you know? And, uh, it really it was my youngest son, my oldest son, that that brought me to here. You know, my uh, when I was at my darkest point, when I was at my lowest point, where I, I lost everything I worked for, you know, uh, which is one of my biggest fears. You know, uh, people don't understand that their thoughts are energy, man. We're made of water. Like your thoughts, the universe doesn't know what's good or bad. It just knows what you think. You know, and uh, one of my biggest fears was I remember walking through Walmart and giving a guy that was homeless, you know, a bottle of water and some money and thinking, man, I'm only one paycheck away from being that guy. You know, I could lose my house and everything. Like, I put all my eggs in one basket with my ex-wife. Like, I worked for her dad. And, yeah. uh, you know, so the moment she left, I was I was homeless, you know, and I had right. nothing. And um, um, so my biggest fear came true. Um, and uh, I was so mentally broken from the physical abuse, which is something that, that men don't talk about, you know, uh, is, is that men get abused too. You know, they have no outlets. You know, they have no... Nobody to talk to because if you tell your guy friends, then you're, you know, a wimp. If you tell a girl, then you're still a wimp. Like they don't look at you as a man, you know. And, and uh, unfortunately, it's a terrible stereotype right. because uh, the whole abuse factor comes from the fact that, you know, even even if it's from a man to a woman, it comes from the fact they don't have an outlet to talk about. They don't have a way. There's no support groups. There's no, you know, somebody to call. You know, and uh, you feel alone. You feel trapped. And and I hate that. So. Uh, before I before I was on my journey, when I was thinking about doing something that was uh, you know, detrimental to my life, I um, I gave my son an action figure. I gave my son he was three. I gave him an action figure of Superman. I had Clark Kent and Superman on one side, you know. And he took it. He looked at it. And he looked at me. And he looked at it again. And he looked at me. And he lifted it up. And he's like, "Daddy," and I was like, "Wow, those are huge shoes to fill, dude." I'm like, "We kid." <laughs> I'm like, you know, those are really high expectations. You know, I can't fly and I can't dodge bullets or anything. But, you know, I don't know about you, but Superman did something that no other superhero has, has done and, and has actually inspired the rest of the superheroes is that he's done what's right, no matter how hard it is. And he was an example of, of doing what's hard because it's the right thing to do, not taking an easy way out, no matter. I mean, he could have wiped out any villain he wanted to. Yeah. And he didn't. He put it to the court, the due process and stuff like that. That moment, that moment changed my life. That moment's what's created all this. You know, I decided that he's right. I can do that. I can inspire the people. I can help people. And um, so, yeah. So when I took my journey, which is what my book is about, um, I learned that we have two voices in our head, usually. You know, usually only two. Um, you have your ego mind and you have your spirit mind. And, uh, you know, it's always mind, body, spirit. You know, it's three, but we always do the body and we do the mind, but we don't do the spirit part. Yeah. And um, um, that's one of the things I like to emphasize to people is because like, you know, your spirit tells you exactly what you want to do, what you need to do to find happiness, to find peace. But the problem is it puts us in uncomfortable positions. It puts us in places that we're not secure with, not, not that we're not familiar with. And no different than working out, um, how your body adapts under stress. And that's what you're doing when you're lifting weights. Your mind does the same thing. Like your body will adapt to those stressful situations that make you a better person. Um, so I traveled 68,000 miles and uh, 28 states in six months, living out of my car with my dog um, with no game plan. Yeah. 
I literally just decided to trust my spirit. And if it wanted me to make a left, I made a left. If it wanted me to make a right, I made a right. And uh, I met some amazing people. At, at each time I met them, um, they all told me the same thing. They all told me the same thing. Like they told me that uh, my energy was off, that you know I didn't rely on my energy, and um, that's why I was drawn to there. Like, and it was it was just it was so surreal, and it was so crazy. It was so nuts, yeah. you know, because you know, in everybody's mind, I'm just running away or I'm just on vacation. And uh, me being, I was 40, 40 years old and at 40 years old, not having a game plan, not having a, an idea of what I was going to do, you know, not fighting for my kid was, was terrifying, terrifying. Yeah. I was scared to death every day, you know, but my dog, my sheepdog, you know, yeah. he let me know that everything was going to be okay. Like he always, he was always there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the journey, what pulled you off, you know, how many, you heard how many times your energy's off and then what happened to. Well, so. When I left, um, I, you know, I, uh, it was snowing. It was January 14th, and um, it was snowing really bad. And uh, I, I literally had a falling out with my family, and uh, I had a falling out with uh, obviously my, you know, my ex-wife. Um, and my parents were so like, you know, they had four houses at the time. They didn't offer me a place to stay, uh, but they gave me dog food for my dog. You That's know? good. <laughs> um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> And um, my dog, my dog, the, my old English sheepdog, Mally, I actually hated him. I actually got him from an ex-girlfriend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had two other dogs, that had a chow and a great Dane, that died in that four-month period of me losing everything. Oh, and uh, I had O'Malley since he was six months old. And uh, and he was just just happy, jumping like all four legs. Just he's, he, was, he was me. That's why he annoyed me. He was me. You know, freaking, and uh, he even had gray hair. And... Um, um, my mom asked me what I was going to do with the dog. And I said, you know what? I'm the only person he knows left. I'm, I'm not going to abandon him. I'm not going to, you know, he's coming with me. And it was the best thing I ever did. That dog, that dog made it, you know, people approach me. So I had this book uh, called The Power of Movement by Bob Klein. Um, it's a Tai Chi book. And, uh, um, and it talks about, you know, your spirit and your, your ego and how we listen to ego because it's easier and, and it's easier to project than to reflect. And um, how we always live in the future and in the past, and we rob ourselves of the only thing we truly have, which is right now. And we don't give you every day the freedom to be new, to be just that, just to be that experience, you know? Um, so I had to start to go to Key West. So I drove to Key West with 180 bucks in my pocket. And my employment to kick in for three more days. And uh, I set up this kiosk, uh, the coupon things that I have down there. Yeah. And um, my this lady came out, was petting my dog, and she asked me why I was there. And I told her, I don't know. I was having no fucking clue why I'm here. You know, excuse my French. Um, but I told her, you know, I lost everything, and I just felt the need to be here. And uh, she made a phone call and got me a room in Key Largo, right on the water, for 80 bucks for all three nights. Nice. And uh, which is like, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so there I was talking, there I was looking at these fish with my dog, you know, that, that you know, he's never been to the ocean before. So he's like, you know, loving it. And this lady comes up and starts talking to me. And she asked me the same thing, what brought me there? And I told her, I have no idea, no clue, you know? And uh, I told her my story and she made a phone call and uh, got me a uh, dinner at this restaurant that I could take my dog to. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the ego, part of the ego is the easy way out. You know, my ego was was drinking women, you know, and, and easy, quick things, you know what I mean? To get a quick fix, to, to not deal with who I was. Because 
I realized as much as I want to blame my ex-wife for everything that happened, the abuse, losing everything. I chose her. Right. I chose her. And I was willing to stay with the abuse. I was willing to stay there. So I had to figure out what was wrong with me. You know, why was I okay with that? Right. Um, so I'm at the restaurant and these two Belgian stewardesses come up to me and they ask me, you know, they tell me, hey, I don't have to go back to my hotel room. I can stay there. And I'm like, you know, the old Chris would be like, yeah, I love Belgian waffles. I, you know, never been there. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go back to the hotel. I'm so married and, and the old Chris would do that. And I'm here to kill the old Chris because that's what got me here. That's what got me to this point, you know, self-responsibility of it. I went back to the hotel room and I got a knock at the door that morning and it was the same lady and here her husband owned the hotel and she had breakfast for me and she actually read the same book I did and the laws of attraction and uh, the Moses code, which I was all listening to on YouTube on my drive. And she goes, Christopher, you know why you're here? I'm like, why? She goes, cause your energy is up and the equator is close to here. Runs through here. And I've done martial arts for years. So I believe in energy, you know, and right. I was like, that makes sense. And uh, she's actually, you're here at a blue moon. And I'm going to give you a quartz crystal and you should go wash it off and, you know, cleanse yourself of everything. I'm, I'm not a big crystal guy, but I was like, you know, it sounds, it's worth a try, you know? <laughs> so uh, I did it and um, I stayed there for about two and a half weeks. Um, but then I realized that that's not where I wanted to be. It's not where I needed to be at. You know, I wasn't learning anything. It was too easy. Yeah. Um, so I left and uh, ended up in Colorado. Like two weeks later, I ended up in Colorado. I go to Louisiana and then I go to Alabama. And, uh, um, and, uh, and out in Alabama, I met these two ladies that were cleaning the uh, campsite and I wasn't even open yet. And they let me stay for free. Gave me dog, gave me 25 bucks and I cleaned up my area that I was at. But at that point I was broken down. You know, my ex-wife was on my, my case about me leaving and saying I was running away just trying to break me down. Right. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, is that what I'm doing? You know, is that, am I running away right now? But I knew if I wanted any chance to be in the father that my kid deserved, that Superman thinks I am, that I had to fix myself. Yeah. I had to, I had to confront me. So I ended up in Colorado and then in Colorado Springs, this place called Manitou. And uh, wake up that morning, not thinking that I just went from, you know, below sea level to 17,000 feet above sea level, you know. Then I saw this trail and I'm like, oh, we're going to do that. <laughs> and yeah, I was dying, dying. This, this, uh, this, uh, Little like twenty four year old, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if she was Asian or or, or Hawaiian or not, but she passed me like three times, and I was like, by the third time, I'm like, are you done? And she's like, excuse me, I'm like, you're really making me feel like crap about myself. And she's like, oh no, you're doing great. And I'm like, oh, keep your sympathy, you know. But I realized that moment that no matter what I do on my trip, that I was going to come back here and I was going to use this this right here as a metaphor for my life. I'm going to mm. conquer this hill, and uh, from there I end up in Sedona. And uh, I was doing sword katas. I, uh, I practiced weapons, and, but I've never been one of those fancy guys who does like the whole yeah. twirly thing, you know. So I was trying that with two swords. And um, I went to uh, the Grand Canyon, and then I went to the Meteor Crater. And as I was leaving the Meteor Crater, the guy asked me, he goes, you know, what do you, uh, what'd you think? I said, well, it was amazing. And well, it was. You can tell it was a global changer. But I also realized I just paid you 25 bucks and get a hole in the ground that you had nothing to do with. You know, like this is kind of crazy <laughs> to me. And then I realized I'm doing what's easy too. Yeah. I'm doing the tourist trap. You know, there's Starbucks over there. There's, this is easy. You know, this is, this is learning anything. And um, so then I went back on my, on my path and I found this mountain that had a trail, the Lupe Trail, but it wasn't. It was actually a runoff from the snow cap melting mm -hmm. and coming down off the, off the mountain. And so me and my dog went up it and I was doing sword cottages up there. And uh, I dropped my one sword down the side of the cliff. And uh, as I went to go pick it up, 
I saw this Tibetan shrine, mm-hmm. this Buddhist temple in the middle of the deserts with sugar flags hanging from it. Yeah. And I'm like, what are the chances of that? You know, I'm reading a Tai Chi book about you know all this stuff, and and there's that. I was like, I mean, that's why I'm here. You know, supposed to see that. Yeah. So I went down there and I did the whole thing where you walk around with the incense and, and you know you create you think about things you're grateful for and stuff like that. And the uh, third time I came around, there was this majestic, you know, almost out of a movie black lady sitting there, all all looking like you know like some you see from a movie, wearing a garb, like you know just praying. And of course, my dog went over and started peeing on the bench she was on. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm sorry. You know, and uh, it was the first time I broke down. Like I broke down. Like I started mm-hmm. crying like a baby. Mm-hmm. And I apologized. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. And uh, she goes, no, no, have a seat. So I sat down and again, she asked me, you know, she asked me why I was there. And I told her, I said, I have no idea, man. So I have no idea why I'm here. You know, I'm just trying to find myself. I'm trying to figure out what I can, you know, to be a better person, to heal from all my trauma from a kid. And, uh, and that's one of the things I learned was that, you know, we, as men, you know, and, and even as strong women, we're told to suck it up. You know, we're told not to express our feelings, not to go through it. And the problem is, is that we've had something traumatic happen. You can shove it down as far as you want to go, man. Yeah. And it could be 30 years. It's going to rear its ugly head again until you go through it. Yep. And uh, um, you have to let yourself feel it. You have to let yourself go through the trauma and, and, and forgive yourself and forgive whoever did it to you. And and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. You know, it's it's an ongoing process, but but you heal from it, you know. So I tell her my story and she looks at me and she goes, I'm gonna be honest with you. She goes, I was supposed to be in Phoenix, Arizona today, and I get to my appointment. And uh she's actually a shaman. And she goes, You know what drew you here? I go, What? She goes, There's actually a vortex here, and your energy's off. And I think God <laughs> told me to tell you that you're gonna be okay. So there it was three months later, you know, 2,800 miles away from yeah. the original lady who told me the same freaking thing, man. Just look at the goosebumps. And yeah. um, I'm like, what are the odds? You know, it's crazy to me, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it was a reassurance. You know, it was a reassurance. So I decided at that moment that I was going to help anybody I saw along my trip. If mm-hmm. I saw somebody that needed something, I was going to I was going to pay it for it. I was going to help them, you know? And um, so I, there was a lady whose who's car broke down at this retire. I got to San Diego and uh, I was, you know, I hiked from San Diego to Washington. But when I was in San Diego, I went to give a homeless guy with some sweatshirts that I just washed. And he always clothes that were wet, shoving the, uh, the uh, underneath the bridge um, in Del Mar. And he actually wasn't very nice. He was like, uh, he like, yeah, he yelled at me. He's like, you know, what, you want my dirty underwear? And I was like, no, I'll keep my sweatshirts, but thanks for that. Um, so, uh, I go hiking up into Oregon, and the only person I knew where I was at at this time was my oldest son. Like my own family didn't know where I was at or anybody. And um, and I documented everything, thinking that if my if something happens to me, my kids can take the same trip. You know what I mean? Like they could follow to see where their dad went. You know. Right. And um, um, so I was in Oregon, in the uh, redwoods, and all of a sudden I had no cell phones like none. And I was like, huh? I was like, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on. So I went to Best Buy and just fun fact, when they say you have unlimited data, you really don't. You have a certain amount of data on each tower and you can't use that all. Because so um, they actually thought I was in another country. So I go to Best Buy and uh, you ever see that movie, uh, uh, Saving Scott Pilgrim? You ever see that movie? I don't think so, no. No? The guy who played Superman, um, not the newer one, but the one before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, he, he played that movie, but he played his like, Blonde haired, blue eyed vegan guy who like a yeah, lot of yeah. all the 
But so I'm at Best Buy waiting for this guy to come talk to me. And this kid, this young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, looks like he's never done anything in his life, kid comes up to me. And he goes, you know, sorry, it's going to sound really weird. He's like, but, but you know, God told me to pray with you. Mm. Told me to tell you that you're going to be okay. And that your energy is just off. And you're going to get realigned. And at that point, I was like, you know, fuck it. Forget He's like, forget He's like, so do you mind if we pray? I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Yeah. So we prayed. And uh, from that moment on, I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't about me. Like there was something, there was something else going on here. You know what yeah, I mean? And uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. So after that, I, I, um, I went back to Colorado and uh, I did that hike. And um, I had the girlfriend that I had when I got that dog, the one I got the dog for. Yeah. Um, she was a great stepmom to my kid, my oldest son. Like mm. she actually made me a better father because uh, us guys at my age, you know, we were taught to suck it up and, you know, man up. And, and you know, we, we, yeah. we almost belittled and berated, you know, our kids, yeah. you know, yep. to be men, you know. <laughs> and um, so I caught my I caught myself doing that with my oldest son. You know, he was whining and I hate whining. And uh, I said, man, let's see what we need to go get paint your room pink. We need to go to Walmart and get some pink stuff, you know. And, and she pulled me aside and she said, Chris, you can't do that. You're his hero and you're breaking him. Yeah. And it was a pivotal moment for me. It was it was a pivotal moment for me. But when everything fell apart with her, I feel like my, my oldest son was mad. And uh, I, I had a lot of resentment towards what happened with me because of that, because it was my fault. And um, so I took a picture of me on top of that mountain that I did. It took me two hours before. It took me 45 minutes this time. Oh, okay. And, good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I actually went all the way up past where I went forward and carved my kids' initials in the tree. Oh. So that way they can go there years later and see how I was thinking about them, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, I took a picture of me. He said, this is where I'm lunch today. And she messaged me the first time in six years. And she was like, you know, where are you at? I was like, I'm on my way to uh, Denver. And she's like, Chris, I'm in Denver. I'm like, no fucking way, man. Like, what are the odds of being in Denver at the same time? I'm, I'm on my way there, you know? So we sat and talked. And uh, we had a moment of clarity and honesty and forgiveness. And uh, I decided at that moment that my story wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about me at all. Like it was to inspire somebody else. So, so that's what my whole title is. It was never just about me. Yeah. Because you know, it wasn't. It was about my kids well, and, and everything else. Yeah. And, service, which you don't yeah. know, but I have a book. And at the end, I'll be the spoiler alert of my own book. But uh, the last chapter is when it's no longer about you. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. What's the title of your book? Bare Naked Bliss. I'll send you a copy. But when I. Oh, read awesome. That, Very cool. I read that in your PDF, the, the PDF that you sent me. Um, I was like, yeah, that's basically when we get in alignment, you know. I try to tell people all the time, like, that, you know, helping people is great. But I'm going to be honest with you, it's it's the most selfish thing I could possibly do. Mm. It really is. It's the most selfish thing I could do because, honestly, it, it makes me feel good. And it <laughs> motivates me to be a better person. You yeah. know what I mean? And, it, and, and I've always been a teacher at heart, always. Like, that's why I went from elementary ed to personal training and stuff like that. Like, I love educating people. Like, you know, and uh, um, and empowering them because I feel like a lot of things that happen in the world are just based on ignorance. You know, yeah. it's really just because they don't have an understanding. Absolutely. You know? So that's you, why I take time to oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go well, I mean, can you share a little bit? I think right now, because so many people are getting a voice to talk about the dysfunction that they've been in and even mm -hmm. the generational dysfunction that we've all been in. Um, yeah, yeah. 
if you can share from your perspective, one about how to have compassion and forgiveness maybe for the perpetrator and then how to have courage to just own that you were in that position, you, anyone that's been in the position of being perpetrated upon. Well, um, you know, so so one of my biggest things that that's dri- driven me to where I am today, um, and one of the reasons I like the whole reason there is even the team David was because uh, my oldest son's sixteen years older than my youngest son, mm-hmm. and uh, my family isn't big. You know, my family's scattered all over the place, and we since the grandparents passed away years ago, we don't have those huge family get-togethers anymore. You know, but I knew uh, because of my younger brother in Florida, who's exactly the same age apart. Um, who I'm actually closer to than my other siblings, even though we'd never really spent that much time together, um, that it would be important for my younger son to know his brother, like to, to know they have a bond. And uh, with Isaiah at college and, and, you know, Avery with his mom the way she is, um, I just wanted them to know. So I actually just started putting Team David on my post so my kids knew I was thinking of them, you know. And, and uh, what I've done is I've looked at the mind, as a muscle group, as a, as, as a working out thing, because it really is like your mind is a muscle. So, so repetitive thought, uh, what you put in, you know, what you read, what you watch, what you spend your time doing yeah. is, is really feeding your mind and strengthening it or breaking it down, you know? And, um, um, so I've spent a lot of time with people on, on just working on, so like, for instance, for me, just an example, uh, all the posts you see where I'm positive and I'm, I'm, I'm being supportive and I'm being outgoing is actually me at my lowest. It's actually where I have negative thoughts about myself mm-hmm. and my situation. And uh, instead of dwelling and living in those thought processes that do me no service at all, I put those other, I put out a post as positive because honestly, nobody looks at it more than I do. And for me, it's looking at myself in the mirror right. and reminding myself of what, what, I'm, what my goal is, what my purpose is. And uh, because unfortunately we are fed by everything about ego everything's fed the ego and ego does nothing for you in the long run you know it, it leaves you in a reactionary state it leaves you in a in a victim state it leaves you in a selfish me 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 state and uh um, it's not where you, it's not where you want to be you know it's not where you want to be and for compassion for other people like i i was very fortunate um to grow up in a scenario my grandfathers both of them you know they never they were never stereotypical like they never the, Woman didn't have a role, you know. They were my mom, my grandmother. If the car was broke down, my grandmother was out there handing the tools. My grandmother went to garden done. My grandfather was out there taking the garden. You know, they did things together. You know, they were equal. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, they still had their things. You know, they, they, grandma, grandma was always made dinner. Grandpa always ate it. You know, so but but um, um, but they but they were always very supportive of each other. They always were very team oriented, and they never looked at anybody based on gender or or or. Uh, ethnicity or any of that, you know what I mean? So growing up, I, I never looked at anybody as anything different than me. Right. Like I, I feel like you bleed the same blood. I do like it's the same color. Like you breathe the same air. I do, you know, the, the only thing different is your perspective to mine and, and, uh, and, and perspective is everything. But when you close your mind to other people's, um, views, you know, like I told my oldest son, my oldest son, he uh, he didn't know, like my his grandfather, his godfather's black. He's one of my best friends. I love the guy to death. And uh, he didn't know what racism was. And he asked me. And uh, I remember telling him, I was like, could you imagine if you didn't like Bobby based on just the color of his skin? 
you know how much knowledge you would have lost? Like how many things you would have lost? Because he's taught us, you know, martial arts. Like he's, he's a good instructor. So like things you would have lost out on. And, and having a family member like that, you know, somebody who actually truly loves you as a person. Um, um, if you were just based on something as simple as, as the color of their skin, like it really, it really is a, a ignorant way to look at life. And uh, it really closes you off to growing as a person. I mean, we're all here to grow. Yeah. We're all here to grow. You know, as I said in my one video, my, our biggest mistake as adults, where we graduate high school and college, and we don't like we think we fucking know it all. If we think we're freaking, we think yeah. we have it all wrapped up and down. And really, in all honesty, we're just big kids trying to figure it out. Yeah. Freaking, we don't have anything wrapped down, you know? And like, and, and to, to base your views on other people's biased opinions. You know, that's, that's one of the hardest things I have with religion is uh, um, it's very hypocritical. You know, uh, um, I learned that very on a really early age. That's why I don't consider myself religious. I consider myself a, a believer in, in, um, in a higher power. You know, because again, when you're born, man, whether you've been in a bad situation or not, you know the between right or wrong. That's something that's innate in yeah. you. You know, that's something that's a higher power. That's not your upbringing. That's not your situation. That is something that's higher in you. You know, yeah. that, that's definitely something that speaks somewhere that we're not at there yet, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. for, what, how would you share for people out there that didn't have some of the role models that you had if they're in a, a situation that they don't have the courage to get out of yet or a situation that they don't feel like they have the fire to fight for? Um, well, here's the thing. There's... I'm a bit, I took a little time in. There's really nothing different about me than you. There's nothing more in me than there is in you. Nothing. And that's one of the reasons I speak out, you know, about, about everything because I want to see people be better. You know, I want to see, I want to see, like, my whole thing about the whole court system and the custody thing isn't against my kid's mom, even though she's in the wrong. Um, and it's not against women. It's not at all. It's about a stereotype that we were raised in. You know, and and uh, uh, this thought process that society has has groomed. You know, we uh, we were taught that you know that it was better for the woman to get a job than be at home with kids. We were taught that it was better for dad to work two or three jobs and take him for a paycheck than it was for him to be a father. You know, and uh, um, a lot of our issues that we're dealing with in society today is that family breakdown. You know, it, that child. I don't care how old you are, you can be adopted. And, and not find out till you're 42 or 46, you're going to want to go find out who your mom and dad are. Yeah. You know, that's just something that's innate in us, you know? And, um, um, and so knowing that, knowing that we, we all have the knowledge, the power to, grow, it really comes down to the courage to step forward through those doors, you know, and um, it's not easy, but you know, nothing worth having is. You know, and that's, that's one of the problems I said years ago when it came out with the internet. I was like, you know, the problem is that people before when they wanted knowledge, they had to earn it. They had to go get Absolutely. it. You had to go to the library. You had to go study for it. Now you have people who don't even understand the knowledge and think they understand everything and got it to judge people with, you know, and uh, instead of trying to get the resources. Like, that's why that's like, when people make negative comments on my posts, I'll actually take time to explain to them why they're making a negative comment, you know, why they feel the need to say that. Because I know it has nothing to do with me. It really doesn't. It has to do with how they feel about themselves, you know, and uh, they're projecting uh, their issues towards me because it's easy. It's easy, you know, and uh, we're taught in society to do that. Quick fix. 
you know, uh, even if working out, people are like, oh, the 20 minute workout, the 30 minute workout, this diet here. And there's no such thing. You know, I remember, I remember somebody asked me, like, you know, let's just get easy. I was like, man, this doesn't get easy. I was like, when do you ever hear everybody say, hey, I'm going to easy out? It doesn't. It's a total workout. And for the rest of your life, this is what it is. It's work. You know what I mean? It's, but if you do the work, you get the benefits. You know, you get what you need, you know. And uh, that's why I tell people with their mind, you know, your mind is an amazing thing. You know, your human, the human body is an amazing thing. We're able to adapt in situations that, that other creatures can't, you know. And that's what makes us amazing, you know, amazing creatures that we're adaptable. But, you know, your mind's the same way. Like, whatever you... you choose to focus on will be your perception of life man and uh if more people chose to ask themselves why they feel that way why they choose to stay in that situation why they choose to deal with that abuse and they find that answer they can find the courage to leave you know they can find the courage to step out you know it's the question is is do you have that courage that strength to look inward and ask yourself why why, why am I letting that person treat me that way when I know I deserve that? And then once you find that answer, you're able to, to heal from that and move on. But in the meantime, everything else is just, is just camouflage of smoke. You know, you're really just trying to, you know, run away from it. Right. And, uh, you know, like Bruce Lee said, you know, you want to, you'll be flowing water. You know, you don't want to be stagnant water. Stagnant water brings death. Flowing water brings life to everything around it, you know? Absolutely. So you just want to keep moving, you know? Uh-huh. And how did, has your martial arts assisted you? Uh, the the mind of the world. Yeah. They're yeah. Like- I, I uh, yeah. I got I got to do uh, jujitsu when I was fourteen. I got in trouble. My parents grounded me for the summer. And uh, for the summer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was. I was a bad. They. I would say I was a bad kid. You know. <laughs> but I was definitely a uh, a rebellious child. Okay. You know. I was definitely rebellious. <laughs> And, uh, um, but it was innocent rebellion. Like, it wasn't stuff that I, I never really thought into what I was doing. I was yeah. like, my dad always says, like, you know, you just jump. You just don't think about what you're jumping into. You just jump, you know? And uh, so they grounded me for a summer and I took jujitsu to do it. And I used to have a temper. And I had a temper because of not having an outlet. You know, the abuse that happened to me, you know, at, at a young age, you know, missing my father. Um, you know, I had, I had a hell of a temper. I would, I would snap pretty quick. And my first uh, jiu-jitsu instructor, Tim Robinson, was a Marine, big jack black guy. And uh, my friends told him, like, listen, Chris has a temper. Like, he he's not afraid to hit any people. He's not afraid to, you know, just go off, you know. And uh, so Tim pulled me in his office. And he was, a, he, he was a towering of a man. I was like 135 pounds, you know. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, so I heard you like to fight. I'm like, well, I'm going to say I like to, but it happens. And uh, he goes, if you come in here with your knuckles messed up or black and blue, you're going to fight me. And you're not going to like it. And I was like, okay. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he was the first person to teach me about karma. You know, he had a guy that outside uh, his studio in the city of Reading that yeah. was yelling racial servants, like comments to him. And he used to wear these wooden shoes, these wooden platform shoes. And uh, he just started walking towards the guy. And the guy's like backing away. And he's like, you know, and yelling all this stuff. And. And we're sitting on the porch watching this kid's like, you know, what's Robin's gonna do, you know? And this guy walked right into the street and a car hit him and flew the guy up in the air and the guy hits the ground and he's like, oh, you know? And Tim looked around and looked right at us and he goes, that is your first lesson in karma. God doesn't like ugly. Yeah. Don't do ugly to other people. And I was like, wow, man, you know? And uh, um, yeah, so so from that moment on, you know, from that, that moment on doing martial arts, and I was very fortunate that I met a lot of people who like to beat me up. 
So like, you know, that new different martial arts. And uh, um, so I get to study a lot of different styles, man. Anything from Aikido to Judo to kickboxing to uh, um, grappling, you know, and I was very fortunate that uh, it all used me as a test dummy because they knew I would take it, and, you know, I wouldn't be mad about anything. And uh, so I did that through my, most of my life. Like it was really something that not only calmed me, you know, it helped me have an outlet, you know, it helped me show that just because I can, that I doesn't mean I should. You know, that's one of our biggest things that people don't understand, you know, that we don't ask ourselves that anymore. We don't go, hey, you know, just because I can do that, should I do that? You yeah. know, nobody asks them, you know, <laughs> if we can, there's no such thing as consequences, you know, in people's minds anymore, you know. And uh, so that's one of the things I teach with my kids. You know, I, I try to tell them, like, you know, when you do something, no matter how small or, or minuscule it is, um, it affects everything around you. It affects, the, you know, stuff. And if a person really wants to keep themselves if they really want to keep in love with themselves they want to have integrity you know the best way to do that and this is the most god's honest truth the best way to do that is to be honest you know i i found that you know that the one thing i own no matter how much money i ever make no matter how much stuff i have the one thing that sets my worth and my value is my work it's the one thing i've owned from the time i was born to the time i die and the only person i can set the value on that is me and uh, um, every time we don't do that, we lose that piece of integrity in ourselves. So when you lie to somebody, when you when you play somebody, when you're deceitful, you're doing more damage to yourself than you are to the person you're lying to. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, so I find it really important. I call them hard truths. You know, people never like to really hear the truth about yeah. themselves. You know, and uh, um, but they're hard truths. Like my oldest son. My, God love him. You know, he's 23 and he's on my birthday with me. And, you know, you raise a good kid when he can give his own dad his hard truth. Somebody that I wasn't, didn't know about myself mm -hmm. and, uh, and didn't know that I did. And he had no problem telling me I did it. And, uh, um, and he was right. And he was right. You know, and, uh, um, even at 46, I was, I was still learning, you know, and, uh, um, even from my son, which yeah. shows me that I did a great <laughs> job. With him. Like, he was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a good kid. So much smarter than I ever was. You know, yeah. but I think that's because I've always been honest with him. You know what I mean? I've always been like I don't lie to my kids at all, you know, about anything. You know, if they ask me a question, I tell them everything about me. You know, yeah. and uh, and I do that because our that's our job as a parent. You know, we're not here to coddle them and 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 you know, yeah. give them whatever they want, spoil them. And that's not our job. You know, our, our job is to prepare them for life. Yeah. And 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 letting them think they live in a fairy tale Disney world life and then you know uh is wrong so i end up with all these kids that don't know how to deal you know and end up prescription meds like i was a big advocate against uh that whole labeling children and prescription meds before it even like get a huge thing right. um because because you know you are what you eat your diet is huge yeah you know people don't understand that yeah well and speak a little bit further about honesty because you know in our culture right now uh, you know, there's a lot of smokes and mirrors with, you know, having the influence of social media. Oh, it is crazy, right? <laughs> but also, yeah, nobody <laughs> ever looks like their pictures. Yeah. But the, the thing that's interesting is how I have two children. And so when they're young, you, it's easy to like all of a sudden catch yourself going, why am I like not being honest with them? Because you start to try to like, when they're, especially your toddlers, you're trying to like manipulate them for lack of better words to do what yeah. you want them to do. <laughs> at all costs so so what i do what i do with my son is i explain to them why yeah why they have to do that why i want them to do it. yeah you know my uh 
my oldest son, he still, he still talks about it to this day like it was like torture. I, I, I'm not one that believes that my voice is deep enough and I have enough presence. I've never had to spank my kids. You know, I mean, if I, if I get my, I call it my dad voice. Yeah. Like, well, let me get my dad voice. I was like, I, you know, and they know. So, but he hung up the phone on me the one day and, he's, and he was being disrespectful to my parents. And uh, I went and picked him up. He was sleeping at my parents' house. I was working third shift. I went and picked him up early in the morning and uh, I brought him back to my house and I gave him a shovel and a jug of water and a tape measure. And I said, here, you're going to give me a one by two by two hole. And I wanted to be perfect. And he was pissed. He was mad. It was August. He was like, I'm not doing this. I'm like, well, you're staying out here until you do. So you do. And uh, and his mom spoiled him. Like his mom, you know, she's an Italian. She spoiled him. She did what Italian moms do, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why the whole family dynamic is important. You know, yeah. the kids learn their compassion, their their love and understanding for the mother. Yeah. They learn their, their, their strengths and how to handle things. From their father, you know what I mean? How to be able to be strong in that moment, yeah. you know, and that's not, that's not a gender thing. It's just, it's just a, it's a chemical thing. It really is. It's just Absolutely. the way we are. It's why it's man and woman. And, um, um, so yeah, he was out there probably about four hours and he dug the hole. He was all sweaty. He was all mad, you know, and he was telling me, I hate you. And I can't believe mom would never make me do this. And, and it sucks. I, you know, the last thing I ever wanted to hear from my son was that he hates me. I, I want to spoil him too. You know, I want him to love me too, but I want him to be a good man. I want him to know he has consequences. So I went outside and I measured the hole and he was two by two by one. And I said, good. Now fill it back up with the grass on top. And if you do it again, it's going to be a bigger hole. Yeah. And he couldn't believe it. He was in such awe that I made him dig a hole for no reason to put it back in there. <laughs> but he never, he never hung up the phone of me again. Even to this day, he'll wait for me to hang up before I, for, <laughs> before I get the phone. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. uh, it's that, it's that, that, that consequence um, that we're lacking. You know, we, we have these, it's one of the reasons I got to teaching. You know, I, I love teaching kids. I love kids. It was a parent that couldn't stand. You know, you, you, you know, cause I, I was, I was, like I said, I was, I, I would have been labeled as a kid as ADHD. And uh, thank God that my mother went to a doctor who he's like, stop giving the kids sugar. Stop giving them red dyes and orange dyes. Yeah. And I went from like 65 hours of detention where I helped build a new addition to the school um, to honor roll. And vice president student council and uh, perfect attendance uh, that following year, and it was all because they changed my diet. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I feel like the problem now with, with parents is that uh, they're lazy. And I don't know that term. They're lazy. You know, they want to blame the teachers. They want to blame everybody else. There's, they watch too much TV. They watch you know and all that stuff. But you're the parent. You know, right. the, your your example is the 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 example. It's the one that they're going to base their whole life off of is your example of, of a parent. So your job is to to tell them to do things, but explain to them why, yeah. you know, why I'm having you do this. You know, my, my stepdad was never any good at that. I always felt like I was his house. He would just drop me off and make me mow grass and wouldn't tell me why. And he didn't tell me until a couple of years ago that he did it because he wanted me to be you know, self-sufficient. He wanted me to take care of it, you know, but if you would have told me that years ago, yeah. I wouldn't have had a resentment towards him. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's the problem is that we don't, we don't take the time. You know, we don't take the time to, because kids are smart. Kids are really, really smart, man. They're really, really intelligent. And and the more you talk to them on an intelligent level and not coddle them, the, the better chances of life they have. Mm. You know, uh, part of my agreement with my ex-wife is that we're not allowed to talk bad about each other. And my comment to her was, well, don't do anything bad. And then I have nothing to say. Yeah. It's that simple. You know, I mean, it's really that simple. But I'm not going to lie for you 
and, right. and, and, you know, paints you as somebody you're not, you know, and that, that was one of the things that was really hard for me. It was the last time I saw my son, cause I knew his mom was going to take me and, uh, uh, cause he wants to live with me and she's against that hundred percent. Um, so I asked him, I was like, Avery, you want to, you want to live with me? Is that what you really want? He goes, dad, more than anything. And, uh, I said, okay, buddy. I said, well then mom's coming to get you and she's already mad and she's going to take you from me and not let me talk to you. And she's not going to let me see you or speak to you. And, uh, I want you to know it's not you, that you didn't do anything wrong, you know, at all. Um, but daddy's coming. And uh, I have these old Team David shirts. Um, they have one around me right now. Um, so it, but it was it's a silhouette of me holding my son's hand. And uh, um, it's usually on the back of the shirt. And on the front it says, uh, this isn't a dad bod, it's a father figure. You know, he went in my room and he grabbed the shirt and he put it on backwards. So Team David and, and the silhouette was in front of him. And he gave me a hug. He's like, I love you, Dad. I was like, I love you too, man. I was like, just don't worry, Daddy's coming. Yeah. And he knows. Like, he'll, he'll tell you at seven that he trusts his dad. You know, yeah. He knows his dad keeps his word. And that means more to me than anything else. Like, anything. You know, anything you're else. energetically connected, so you're not without a relationship. It just sucks. You know what I mean? I, I never wanted, you know, a split home for either one of my kids. No, yeah. It's not something I ever wanted. Um, and uh, I know co-parenting is so important. You know, it's yeah. so important for the kid to have both his parents. Right. Um, but well, when one doesn't see that way, when one doesn't, you know, view that same perspective. Well, you've touched you on do what a, few, you do. a few times, you know, and I find it interesting you ended up at the Grand Canyon. Um, you're up near Hopi Nation, which yeah, every, yeah. in their mm-hmm. culture is based on the masculine feminine. So uh, the, the women actually speak a different language in response. Like if I, I, you said thank you to me, I would respond in a different word, not the same thing. Really? Um, because of the roles of the tribe and the agricultural system, it's this magical alchemy that happens out there. I can't explain it. I've seen yeah. it blown my mind. But th- there's th- this process where each is in charge of something. And that's that's where we're at right now. I think in society, we're at a point where, where we're too far left. Yeah. Or, you know, we never really balance out. You know, we had this whole dominant masculine thing in the 50s and 60s and all this stuff. And, and for people to truly understand that, you also have to understand that, you know, there was a depression. There was also two world wars, you yeah. know, so you had fathers that weren't there, you know, and um, unfortunately, my generation and younger are paying for our father's mistakes, you know, and being put into this category, especially in the court system, um, of deadbeat dads, like yeah. right away off the bat, like, you know, the moment I posted something about my kid being gone, you know, the first couple comments on there was like, oh, he must have did something. Oh, he had to do something. Yeah. You know, she could have done it. I mean, it had to be me. You know, and, um, um, but I studied history. You know, in 1975, worst rates went up by 89%. Mm-hmm. You know what happened in 1975? You know what happened? We had the uh, gas crisis, 70 or 79. Domestic relations. Oh. 1975, the birth rates went up 89%, 25% every year after that. Mm. And then 80, it was 88% of divorces were filed by women. And then custody is given to almost 92% of the women. Yeah. You know, so when, when people look at society and they go, well, these this snowflake generation, this me, me, me generation, oh, where, where, where's the imbalance at? Yeah. You know, kids need their fathers. You know, they need their fathers as much as they need their mothers. You know, and uh, if you want men, to stop, you know, committing suicide at a high rate. If you want fathers 
to be there because I feel like a lot of a lot of there's a lot of, a lot of great men out there that would be great fathers that have been told by lawyers, have been told by people they know you're never going to win, right. you're just going to pay child support and see your kid every other weekend, and child support is so it's so messed up because I know so many fathers that work three jobs, you know, two on the books and one off just to be able to keep their house, yeah, so they don't get to see their kid, you know, and, and they don't even get to get on their weekends because they're working. And, so, uh, and it's, it's not, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, gonna say it's not, go ahead. your perspective, cause you're, you weren't in it just because like, well, from your perspective, what is the solution? Um, last thing I've been trying to, I've been trying to advocate for, cause I'm, I'm trying to get women, cause listen, nothing's going to change unless the mothers are on our side or, yeah. or on the father's side. That that's, that's where the awareness has to come into play. It has mm-hmm. to, it has to be, women have to be aware. You know, that's one of the things that I really love about TikTok. Is uh, there's a lot of advocates for men by women, yeah. Um, but the the fact that there's so many women on my comments that say this happened to my brother, this happened to my son, yeah. this happened to my dad, you know, and 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 it's bringing light to the fact that it doesn't just affect men, you know, it, it affects mothers, it affects sisters, it affects yeah. you know uh, siblings, you know, and um, um, I think the solution is that we come together, that we stop we stop blaming each other. For, for uh, you know past experiences that we had nothing to do with, it's no different than this 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 uh, you know than somebody saying like I had somebody say to me when Barack Obama became president that uh, I had 400 more years to to make up for. And my family's Russian, Jew, Irish, and Scottish, and and uh, um, Welsh. Each one of my section of my family was either tried to be bred out or was a slave, like they were you know, straight up slaves. Yeah. And, um, um, but I don't hold, I don't hold those chains. I wasn't there, you know? So for me to say that I have any rights as more than somebody else is ignorant. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like for us to make a change, we have to be open to the acceptance that we're not, mm-hmm. we're not the stereotype. Yeah. We're not. We're not our deadbeat dads. You know, we're not we're not men who, who look at women as nothing more than baby factories. We're not none of my friends were raised like that. We weren't raised like that. We were raised by empowered women, you know, and we were raised by by fathers who, who wanted to be there and wanted us to be men, you know, and 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 for them to to accept that they have to stop playing victim. Everybody has to stop playing a victim and take responsibility and stand together. Like I would love, I would love to have thousands of women and men just holding hands and be like, you know what, the court system's made for us. Like it's supposed to work for us. They're not, we're not working for them. Yeah. But we're, they're supposed to be working for us. So we need to take it a change and make it, uh, the court system look at the individual, not the gender of the individual, yeah. right. just at the individual themselves. Is that a good person? Are they good people? Are they good for that kid? You know, and, and not have such a stigma for men. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Would you say that we could handle this on our own outside the court system or bring this up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the problem with that is, is again, like my oldest kid's mom, you know, she looked me dead in the face. Now, she had free daycare. She had free formula. She, I had my kid 50 hours a week. Um, she, I was giving her 100 bucks a week for nothing. I was paying her car payment to 50 a month. And not because courts told me, just because I wanted to be a good man. 
and she took me for child support and she wanted she told me dead to my face man that i give her 500 bucks a week or i don't see him that he belongs to her and that was her that was i don't blame her she was raised that way she was taught that she yeah. was taught that 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 ownership you know and um, um what they have to understand is that you couldn't have that baby if it wasn't for me too like i was right. a part of that you know what I mean? And, yeah. and and so so as much as you want to say he's yours because you carried him for nine months, he's not. He's ours. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think the the letting go of the ego, you know, this 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 me, 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 and what I can get from him stigma that goes on is because I know so many fathers, man, that that Louie never wanted to like I don't want to fight my kid's mom. Yeah. I don't want to fight her at all. Like, I'd rather we just got along, right. you know, but in her mind, in her mind, you know, I'm just some guy, you know, some sperm donor, you know, yep. and uh, um, I think, I think for that to change, then you, you have to, you have to be more accepting of the father role, of the male role, yeah. you know, because again, I don't know one father that, that hasn't had to fight for the kid, not one, yeah. you know, didn't spend thousands of dollars just to get breadcrumbs in their kids' lives for, for just because the mom was bitter, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's not fair to the kid. You know, it's no. really not. It's really not fair to the kid at well, all. I, because all he wants is her mom and dad. You know? <laughs> I can introduce you to my ex-husband. He tried oh, to yeah, right? but I, I advocated irregardless yeah. of where we were at for us to stay together. I had to like do some fast talking to counselors and everything just to, get us yeah. to mix just for this reason like even if there is hostility it's better that the kids come together or the, the parents come oh, together yeah. and co-parent those kids because they definitely need both of you mother and well, they do mother. they do provided he's, he's a yeah well as i told as i told my oldest kids uh, and uh you know they talked to people about it because a lot of people thought that i was trying to be vindictive that i was trying to put my kid's mom down and that's not at all what I was trying to do. She's in the wrong, yes. But for me to attack her and put her down, I'm literally attacking my son. He's a part of both of us. Right. Now he's a part of her as much as he's a part of me. Yeah. So anything I say about her, I'm hurting him. Yeah. Because he loves her. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's where that's where people need to understand, you know, is that when you when you are upset at the other person and when you want to be angry and do something to get at them that the only person you're really getting at is the person you supposedly love the most which is yeah. your child yeah. you know um, what i mean and i think once people understand that put that child first everything else just falls in place everything just becomes easy because well, your ego is not talking for you anymore yeah and share a little bit more because what happens a lot of times in these situations even with your your um older son's mother uh you know it does people all of a sudden like use money as a control mechanism Yet, if oh, yeah. if someone were to actually have, sit down with a financial advisor and say, how do we make two households out of this? Um, what would you say to like sep separating those in a certain way so people can objectively see? It's, you know, it's scary. Well, I think scary when you're breaking up a home, it's scary, you know, trying to figure out how well, yeah. it happened, right? So like my, my youngest kid is, you know, she's trying to take me for child support right now, you know, even though, and, and uh, the only reason she didn't was because when he, he brought out how much she makes a month, I, I laughed. I said, boy, I just taught my kid how to do math. I was like, why don't we bring him in here and I'll have him go over her bills. There's no way she's making that and paying all that. I was like, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure the IRS would like to know how she's doing all that. 
And uh, her response was, you would do that to your kid? I'm like, no. I was like, I'd do it to you, though, because you're trying to do it to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just something that's you're using something that you're it's supposed to be for our son to hurt me because you feel vindictive, you know, about stuff. So um, I think first you have to take the hand, you have to take the control of the courts. So to understand why the courts are set up the way they are is that the lawyers, the judges, all make a percentage off of your court case and your child support. You know, so they have no motivation to help you, to to have you not fight, to not see you argue. Yeah. You know, they their only motivation is their pocket, you know, bottom line. You know, and most of those lawyers all know each other. So they all just keep you going and they'll have you bicker back and forth and they drag it on because that way they make money. They're the only ones that make out in a custody battle. They're the only ones that make out in child support. This and that. Um, I is think that, like in my case. Is that in all states? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's in all states. Yeah, they all make a percentage. Yeah, lawyers make a percentage. They, freaking, they all make a percentage of that child support. You know, I don't know if that fight in the, in the court case, you know. Um, that's all through four lawyers. Yeah, they all told me the same thing. They all had to they wanted to just keep fighting. And Mary Favinger, the reason I got her is because she was just a quiet little old lady. You know, and I got her because freaking she made me look like I was, you know, peaceful and calm. You know, it was the exact opposite of what my ex-wife, my ex-wife, well, my oldest kid's mom was trying to say I was, you know. Yeah. And uh, but it was because of her peace and calmness and me giving her the information she needed that the judge saw that I wasn't trying to be vindictive, you know, that I was going to keep the agreement because I knew it was best for my kid. And uh, but again, the problem is that we're dealing with the mentality of this me, me, me generation, you know, this is society that feels as though they're owed something right. instead of working for something. Again, like the only way that's going to change is if, if they understand there's consequences in their actions. You know, a lot of a lot of like that's my biggest thing right now is that, you know, a woman like my my youngest kid's mom, you know, she can say whatever she wants about me, and I have to prove them differently. I have to prove myself as as opposite of what she's saying about me, but or the courts will believe her, even though she has no proof or evidence, just because she's a woman. That's the only reason. You know what I mean? Like I had my son, I asked to have a wellness check did on my kid, and the cop went and talked to her. He didn't even go check with my son, you know, at all. But if I was a woman. And I asked him to go do a wellness check on on me, on, on the father. Yeah. He would have showed up at my house. And he yeah. would have went, you know, he would have checked to make sure that kid was okay. And 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 again, it's because of this, this stigma that we've been raised to believe of deadbeat dad. Yeah. You know, that that the father doesn't want to be there. But I guarantee you, I I, I swear on my life, I would say at least 90%, if not higher, the father, the absentee father, wouldn't exist if they knew they couldn't. You know, if they knew that they they had the chance to be there, that they wouldn't felt pushed away. Even me, who swore at seven years old that I would never leave a child, I would never abandon. Yeah. Um, when I first started this fight with my my ex wife, you know, I, I thought about it. You know, do I really, at my age, want to spend the next four to ten years in court, spending thousands of dollars to to get breadcrumbs of my kid's life? Like, do I want to do that? You know, at this point in time in my life, like I was, first of all, I wasn't, she's the one I wanted to have a kid. She, she used to cry and tell me she couldn't have kids and blah, blah, blah. I used to pat her on her shoulder. I'm like, ah, it's okay. I was like, we're good. You know, my oldest is going to be 18. We go travel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, when I came home, you know, so much she was pregnant. You know, at first I was kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, I was, I was like, oh man, but here we go. Freaking, but I was like, you know, we're married. So maybe, maybe this is how, maybe I finally get the family I want. You know, and, um, but I thought about it. I thought about it. 
especially when she, you know, cheated on me and married somebody else. And I really want to see my kid being raised by somebody else. I want to deal with that, knowing that I didn't do it and deserve that. So the only person I knew that literally just walked away from their kids was my real father. You know, it was him. I didn't talk to him for like 13 years. And uh, so I actually reached out to him. And uh, I said, I said, Dad, I said, I've got a question for you. You know, um, do you ever regret it? I was like, I don't want a whole story. I don't want a whole apology or anything like that. I want to know if you regret walking away from your three kids. Because you did. Like, he, he wasn't paying child support for any of them. Like, he could have very easily made a pick up the phone, you know? Um, but he walked away, you know? And he's like, he said to me, he goes, Junior, he goes, every day. I regret it every day. And uh, at first, I didn't believe him. You know, I thought he was full of shit. You know, it's the same guy who used to tell me my birthday present, my Christmas present was in the mail. And never <laughs> show, you know? So for kids, so um, he asked me to come and see him. So I went and saw him. And, uh, you know, my mom's about two years older than him. And she still pushed me with grass. And, and she's still moving around like she's in her 30s, you know. And I saw my dad. And my dad was on the verge of diabetes and has a hemorrhoid a hernia in his chest right here. And he's out of shape. And, man, I looked at him and I was like, fuck. I was like, that right there is regret. Yeah. That right there is a man who, who hid from the world yeah. and regrets never standing up and having the courage to say something to fight. And uh, I swear to God, I'll never be that man. You know, I would never be that. You know what I mean? I decided from that day on that I'll never never walk away from my kids, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how broke I am or, or how inevitable it seems. You know, I know for a fact that uh, the best thing for my kids is for me to be there. And yeah. nothing's going to change that. You know? you know, and, yeah, my oldest son, freaking myself for my birthday, was first time I saw him in 10 months. And he's six foot two. He's like 220 pounds, solid muscle. He makes me look like a midget, you know? And uh, I told I told my girlfriend and my manager uh, a couple weeks ago when I had the wellness check done on my youngest son. He didn't do anything. God didn't do anything. Um, my son was living in Florida at the time, my older son. And I could feel, feel he needed his dad. He didn't need me to give him a speech. He didn't need me to tell him anything. He just needed a hug yeah. from his father. Let him know it would be okay. So I started driving down there. And I knew I only had two days. Again, it's like a 16-hour drive. And my girlfriend and my, my, my manager were all over me. They were like, you got things to do. You know, what are you doing? And, <laughs> and they didn't quite understand, you know, my, my thought process. But I listened to him when he came home. And not knowing that he came back to college up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And uh, so when I found out, my girlfriend got me a place at cottage by his school so we could see him. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen my son cry since he was probably like 11 years old when he jammed yeah. his thumb. Uh, playing baseball and I told him to suck it up. He walked up to me one tear in his eye and he's like, well, I don't always have to suck it up. And I was like, man, I'll let you know when you're in pain, you know? And uh, um, even when he broke his wrist playing football, he didn't shed a tear, didn't even, he didn't even know he broke it. But uh, that, that that young man, when I saw him, he broke down and he hugged me. And uh, it was amazing. It was it was truly amazing. You know, he's like, Dad, I know how much I missed you. And I was like, it's cool, man. I was like, I know you did. I know you need to have for your dad. You know what I mean? You needed that. And uh, it's those things right there that 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 natural, basic human feeling that yeah. that as you know is an empath, that we run away from it. We're scared yeah. of it. You know, and I think the more we embrace that, like how many times do you think you walk past somebody in the course of the day and you know you saw the the you could hold the door or you could say good morning or God bless you or yeah. You could have did something to to make their life a little better, but you didn't because you're worried about the 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 
yeah, oh no, you know, it's weird if I do that type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but literally those moments, those key moments are what changes your world. Is what changes everybody's world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just that little simple thing, you know, common courtesy is free. There's a lady down here at the gas station. Um she was having a rough day. It was when a lottery was at a billion dollars. You know, so she was standing by that lottery machine all day. And she's got to be in her late late sixties or seventies. And uh her name was Belle. And uh and I came in there and I always I'm always nice to everybody. I say good morning, how you doing today? And and, and I actually listen when I you know, I would just say it and just ignore whatever they say, you know, I actually yeah. listen to what the hell they have to say, you know. And uh so I go in there and uh she's like, gosh, she's like, I've been staying at that machine for three hours. She's like, I haven't had a, even had a chance to get you a drink of water. I was like, man, if you need a drink of water, you go right ahead. You can sit down if you want. I'm not in a hurry. I was like, no worries. And she goes, you know, I gotta tell you. She goes, I've been I've been fighting and saying this, but every time you come in here, you're so pleasant and you're so nice and your voice, and it just really just brightens my day. I didn't know that, you know, at all. Freaking, but that little moment of of bringing somebody joy in their life when they're stressed, it's a yeah. gift, you know, yeah. it's something that's that we all have, you know, that we all have that. You know, yeah. but we choose to ignore it, you know, because it's, it puts us in an uncomfortable, unfamiliar situation. Yeah. You know, but that that right there, if we do it, the world would be a better place. It really Absolutely. would. You know, it really would. Man. And especially you know? right now, we, we need that uh, more than ever yeah. or after coming up. I call it the world. Yeah, that's why I, I, <laughs> that's why I do what I do. You know what I mean? I I, I, I do what I do because I, I, I want to be that change for I don't want my sons to grow up in a world like I did. And I don't want them to feel like they have to hide who they are just based on their genes. Uh-huh. You know? and, and I want them to be proud of, of who they are as, as people, not as a man or, or a gender, but as, as a person, just be proud of who you are yeah. you know? and, and hold that pride with integrity, not because you're better than anybody else, but because you know you, you are you. Well yeah. said. So, Christopher, I realized I shortened your name in the beginning. It was just like, Ooh. it's okay. At least you didn't call me David. Everybody always calls me David. And I'm like, you know, no, my I... last name. <laughs> yes, that is your last name. I got that before yeah. I got on the air with you. Let everyone know um, your website. It's always good for you to orate. We'll put the links below. But Okay, thank you. Yeah, my uh, website is uh, www.christopherallandavid.com. Um, or you can hashtag Team David on anything you want. And it'll come up on any social media, you know. Um, uh, Seventy-two isn't my birth date; it's it, my birth year. It's my lucky number. Um, yeah. You being an empath, if you actually Google the the, uh, the uh, meaning of seventy-two, um, which I didn't know. What is it? Um, well, it's it's once if you Google it and look at it, you'll see it. it really, was some lady sent it to me, and uh, I was like, wow, it makes sense. Really, really. I did sense, get that you know, it wasn't your birth year. I got that it was a lucky. Yeah, that's yeah, so funny, man. People are like, "Oh, you're 50," and I'm like, "No, 46." <laughs> it was like it was my soccer number when I was nine, yeah. and we had three numbers left. It was like four, seventy-two, uh, seven, and two. And I was yeah. like, and there was already a two, and there was already a seven. I'm like, I want to be 72. It'd be like twice a religious number in my mind at nine. It made sense, you know? Yeah. But what's when's your book going to be out? Um, hopefully in the next two weeks. Okay. Yeah, you know, it'll be audio for it and everything else, man. And uh, we're gonna do a, for, a thing for the first hundred people who order the book and uh, go to the reviews. You know, if everybody go to Amazon that day, that's released. It'd be awesome. And I'll be doing book signings and um, and other things are coming up too. Like I have a lot of stuff that's happening right now, like uh, photo shoot in October. Um, with the uh, lady who did Fifty Shades of Grey, 
um, for mass novels, which should be pretty awesome. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. And, and, and it's all because of it's all because I, you know, of you guys, like you know, just you know, that I, again, I, I think just kind of fall into place. Yeah. Um, that's why I know I'm gonna get custody of my son. Like I'm not worried about it. Like I know I'm gonna get that moment. Yeah. Um, I think that moment when I videotape my son running my arms, gonna, you know, it's gonna solidify who I am. You know, because yeah. I really want to make a change for everybody. Yeah. You know, so. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. you being here, Christopher. Uh, we will we will keep updating all of the information below and promote as we get closer to your book launch and event. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, if you send me a little stuff too, I'll make sure I post you on TikTok and, and blow you up too. So at least I can do it. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank Christopher David and all of you for being here today. You can support his great work by going to his website, signing up for his email list, and they will notify you once that book is available. We will also promote it from here and on our website too. And if you are inspired, stay a little bit longer. We're going to exit out with little Kadri Scott, just like that. And until next time, this is Suzanne signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply. Summer's go